Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. I've got Dr. James Taylor with us, and he's from Oklahoma. He's got a phenomenal presentation called Critical Race Theory Versus the Bible. And first of all, I just want to welcome you to the podcast, James. Thank you very much. It's an honor to be here. Thank you. So before we get into the actual the content, and this is such an important topic in our church today, we, we know it's already in the university system, we know it's already in our government, corporations have gone woke, and critical race theory is now getting into the public schools, but it always catches us off guard when it seeps into the church. So that's what we can talk about a little bit. But first of all, your background, I see you received your education through Manhattan Christian College. K-State, Kansas State University. Tell us a little bit about your background, how long you've been a pastor, and I understand you are in Norman. I am. I'm in Norman, Oklahoma, at Christ Church in Norman. I've been in ministry, called into ministry when I was uh, the summer of 1972. And uh, so I was called into ministry at that time, and I have been working towards those goals. And uh, So I've been in actual officially ministry since 77. Um, I did my first internship then, so yes, I'm old. <laughs> oh, you don't look it. <laughs> thanks, thanks. Uh, so that's that's my background. I just uh, I, I love the Lord. I love I just I'm a person who's when I see something that is not right, I deal with it. Mm. And with this issue of critical race theory, what had happened uh, was our school. I'm also a public school teacher. I'm bivocational, so I'm in the public school teachers uh, school district. I'm a history teacher at Oklahoma City Public Schools. I didn't realize you were still teaching. Oh my goodness! I come from a family of teachers in the '60s, '70s, and boy, has education changed since then. So feel free to share whatever you can about. I mean, history. History has been rewritten, and the, pub, the, the textbooks have been rewritten. And share whatever you can about that. Well, I, I would I teach history the way history happened. I'm I'm not part of the revisionist historians, and so uh, I'm, I even tell my kids, you know, if you don't know your rights, you've already lost your rights uh, every every year. So uh, I just I just think it's very important. I, I see myself as a missionary. Uh, on the, in the public schools, they have changed dramatically. We, school is not the same, and part of that is what society has done with participation trophies and making people uh, expecting something when they don't do anything. And like for example, uh, we have our policy at our school district is if a student this just shows you how insane this has gotten. If a student turns in an assignment and the only thing that's on there is their name, then the lowest grade I can give them is a fifty. Yeah. The lowest grade I can give them is a 50. So I give them a 45 because they misspell their names usually. So, <laughs> But that's where we're at. We're at a time where the kid deserved a zero, uh, but he can only get a 50. And uh, this, is, this is where we're at. And, and part of this is with this critical race theory. Now they're changing the name. It's not really changing. It's really sorry, it's been there. It's going to be this uh, SEL, social and emotional learning. You go on the website. Same verbiage, same word and word. It's just, it's the game they play to teach what they want to teach, 
and try to get away with it. And so that's what we're seeing taking place right now. And so right now the hot topic literally is critical race theory. And as you said, David, it's in everywhere. It's in the, the AMA is doing it. Of course, a lot of doctors don't give AMA a whole lot of credit anymore. Mm -hmm. But uh, it's, it's there. It's in our military. Uh, and I'm, I focus my uh, talk mostly on education since I'm in that arena. And so we are we are pushing this concern and, and trying to get people to pay attention. And in the church, this is probably the saddest part of it all, is pastors are embracing this nonsense. Uh, my message on critical race theory versus Bible, I preach this stuff, I preach this stuff from the Bible. And I preach it in my pulpit. I, I, you know, that's important to the people in the pew know what's going on. And about three months ago, I preached this sermon on uh, critical racism versus the Bible. And uh, I'm at Norman, in Norman, Oklahoma, and the largest Baptist church in our town, the same day I'm preaching this, was standing up in the pulpit telling their people that they need to acknowledge their whiteness and make atonement for their whiteness. That was the same day, the very same day. So what we're seeing is uh, the churches are getting involved. What's happening? See, here's one of the things people don't realize. The Ford Foundation, the Carnegie Foundation, different Soros' foundations are contributing to seminaries now. Yep. And the reason they're doing that is for influence. And so what's happening is these kids, these young preachers are coming out fully indoctrinated into this garbage. And so when they go to their pulpits, they're spreading this stuff. And here's the thing that they should be real concerned about is Paul says uh, when he wrote to the Galatians uh, chapter 1, verse 8 and 9, he says this powerful words. If, if, uh, if we are an angel of the Lord, should come and speak to you a different gospel than what we have given you, let him be accursed. Now, some translations say, let him be accursed to hell. Now, Paul was so concerned about this that he repeated it in verse 9, right. saying, hey, we've got to be real concerned about that. So here's the problem for the body of Christ. The second you take the gospel of Jesus Christ and mix it with CRT, Black Lives Matter, uh, uh, Antifa, black liberation theology, you've just created false doctrine. Now that's where you should be concerned as a pastor because Jesus says, his word, not mine, woe, woe, woe to those who lead one of my little ones astray. For it would be better for him to have a millstone tied around his neck and tossed into the ocean. Now a millstone weighed about 2,000 pounds. So what Jesus is saying is you got a better chance of survival with a 2,000 pound rock tied around your neck, tossed into the middle of the Mediterranean Sea, going down than you do in facing him when you leave one of the little ones astray. Mm -hmm. See, this is, this is why this is concerning, because it's being, and I, and I, I mentioned the Baptists, but you don't understand, it's, it's all of them. Simmons of God are doing it, Liber, uh, Lutherans, Episcopal, you name it, they're doing this nonsense. And they have not looked at what the Word of God says. This is this is what you cannot. It is in, it, you cannot be a, a, a follower of Jesus Christ, a serious follower of Jesus Christ, and embrace critical race theory. They're incompatible. They're incompatible. Is that because it's Marxist-driven, or are there some other things that play into that? Well, it, it's Marxist in that, uh, but there are other things that I think was uh, playing it too. Marxism tells you that you have to have an oppressor and the oppressed, and that's basically what you have. But there's other things that play into it, and that is people are, people are seeing what's going on with uh, what's happened with, like, George Floyd is the catalyst uh, for a lot of this stuff. But it didn't have to be whoever it would have been. It, yes. George Floyd just happened to be the one. Yep. So it would have been, and nobody ever talks about the fact that uh, he was a career criminal. 
You know, we don't want to hear about that uh, because then you're a racist. And that's the fear people have is being called a racist. So all of these things are coming into play that people are saying, well, i got to be careful. I want to be sensitive. So the pendulum is swinging to a point where it's insanity, where it doesn't even make any sense, where people are – it is. They're, yeah. they are, they, it is demonic. Yeah. We, are, we are living under – significant demonic influence that has come out the closet. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is, we are in an environment now that we have never seen in this country before. Well, actually, it's global now. It's global. This movement is global. And so there are factors with, like that, that people are afraid to be called a racist. That's the, that's the, that's the worst thing you can be called today. And I, just for your listeners' sake, I, I, you know, I'll be sharing this tomorrow, but one of the things that helped me a long time ago when it comes to name, being name called, obviously I'm a black man. Well, your listeners can't see that, but uh, I'm a black man, so I've been called everything from A to Z. It's no big deal. So I, and it used to bother me. It doesn't anymore, and here's why. I've been called the worst by God, a sinner, and I've been called the best by God, my child. So anything anybody says falls somewhere in between, so they can't hurt me by what they call me. And so... If your listeners will get to a place in their personal life, with their walk with their Father in heaven, that they believe that same thing, not just believe it, but act upon it, mm-hmm. then what they're called can't hurt them. They cannot be hurt by this. And see, that's what they, they have no substance. Those who teach this critical race theory, uh, Marxist ideas, they have no substance. So that's why they resort to name calling. Yep. That's, the, that's the only thing they have. And if you understand that, and they construct their argument in such a way that it's, it's basically a mousetrap. You know, they say black lives matters, and then you say what? Of course they do, or, or all lives matter. <laughs> you say right, all lives matter. And then, then they say racist. And then you say, no, I'm not a racist. And then they say, well, you just repress that. See, it's a mousetrap. But see, once you know where the cheese is and where the trigger is, then you can get around that. Because, see, once they go through all of that, there's nothing. They say, okay, you've got all that out of your system. Now, do you want to have a conversation about this? What's, what's this? What is this all about? And they have no substance. They, once, see they, so they, they use intimidation yep. of calling people names and hoping they run for the hills. Well, that doesn't work on me. I'm ready to engage you. You know, let's talk. You want to talk? Uh, let's talk. But they, don't, they have no conversation. And when, every time I confront folks about that, they're gone. Conversation's over. And so your listeners uh, should get to a place where it doesn't concern them that... Uh, someone calls him a name. Now, I know, I understand it. Now, please understand, I didn't get there overnight. <laughs> it took a while for me to realize that about that with God. But once I got there, mm-hmm. it, was, it, was a, it was a divine inspiration to me that transformed how I dealt with people in public. Sounds like it was liberating, too. It was. It was very freeing. And, and that's, of course, the word of God says, uh, you know, the truth will set you free. <laughs> so that's what it is. It's interesting because we've been fearing words, and the left can be bullies, and they use the bully pulpit. We've just been learning how to deal with accusations, and who's the accuser of the brethren, right? Uh, Intolerant, hateful, homophobe. And we've just been learning to deal with that and have conversations instead of responding defensively. And now, racist. So now we've got to learn to deal with that one. There's a very provocative statement on the back of your DVD. By the way, where can people get this? Uh, they can get it from me. You can actually get that on Amazon, uh, but you get it from me cheaper, but Amazon. So. so critical race theory versus the Bible, and what is your website? Uh, it's our church, and that is uh, uh, 
you know, I, ccnorman.org, right? ccnorman.org. It's, it's Christ's Church of Norman. So ccnorman.org and look up Dr. James Taylor and his presentation, Critical Race Theory versus the Bible. So your provocative statement, and I want you to let us know what you mean by this. CRT, critical race theory, is not reverse racism. It is hyper-racism. Well, what do you mean by that? What I mean by that is this. We, we are told, you know, people look at what's going on because what they're saying is all white people are systemically racist. Well, that's a lie. It's an absolute lie. And it's contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes. Uh, that's one of the issues with this. It's contrary. So what you have is people are... This is hyper-racism. You know, it's one thing to say, you know, issues like blacks struggled in the past and, and now it's kind of trying to reverse that to whites because it's, if you are white, male, heterosexual, uh, Christian, uh -oh. you are the oppressor. That's the, worst. that's the worst you can be. And so because of that, that's just, that's, you are systemically a racist. Well, that doesn't make any sense. You know, in, in the civil rights movement, yes, blacks were pushing to try to get that, but the ones who were in control were whites. If whites had not helped them in the federal government, that civil rights not movement would not have moved anywhere. Mm -hmm. So so you saying that doesn't even make any sense. Just by the, the color of one's skin, plus uh, Act 17 tells us that we all come from one blood. We all come from Adam. So we, we all can trace our history back to there. Just a slight pigmentation causes people to make judgments. You know, we, we, we are, Martin Luther King once, and now the CRT, they don't like Martin Luther King uh, now, but he talked about being judged not on the color of our skin, but the character and the content of their hearts. That's just been flipped now because we are to look at a person. Um, in my presentation, I got one section where uh, now this is, just shows how insane this has come, where you, they, they got actual articles on this about you can tell a person is a racist, white person is a racist, you know how? By the way they walk. See, that's just as stupid as you can get. I don't think I've heard that one. Oh, yeah. It's, it's, you'll, you'll get that tomorrow. And, I, and it's documented. You'll see the article. I mean, I just document everything. It's real easy. I, I try to make it as simple as possible. So do we need to keep our chins down and look at the floor? Is that what they're... No, it's just the because the, you walk like with, with, the, with the gate, gate and, and, and uh, you, you'll move to the other side when you see people of color coming. It's just a stupid article. Stupid article. You know, um, it's, just, it's just insane. We've gotten to a place where this is all... An, a, Action and insanity. So what I see is this is just not just uh, racism, but this is hyper racism. This is says there's no exceptions. So now we've made our institutions racist. Uh, we've made our businesses racist. Everything is racist now. Well, that makes no sense, and it's and it's contrary to the word of God. So how do you respond to this as a Christian? We've got pastors that are not really. Uh, equipping the saints. They're not really res responding to it and informing and helping their congregants and influencing their congregation to know how to respond to these things because it's seeping into the church. And you've got influencers and very prominent people, such as a LeBron James who says they're hunting us down on the streets, meaning black people. And he influenced a lot of people by just that one statement. And people, they don't watch the news. They don't look at the stats. They don't read history. They don't understand. They just, wow, is that really happening? And they believe that as a pastor, how do you respond to things like that and inform your people? 
Well, I, I use statistics to do that and just say that just simply isn't true. Uh, you can, there, the information is out there. This morning in the conference, uh, Pastor Blair showed some of the same things that I talk about. And so you can see that the, that that is not true. They're not gunning people down. Police are friends. Uh, I, I'm, I have lots of wonderful police officer friends and, and I, you know, I, they know me on a first name basis because I have a lead foot. Uh, <laughs> Confession time. I have a lead foot uh, and, uh, uh, and I'd like to get places fast. But anyway, uh, because of that, uh, I, I have never had an encounter with a police officer that was a negative encounter. Uh, you know, uh, there is one thing to be pulled over and you, as soon as the officer comes up and you start saying, oh, you're just arresting me because I'm black. Well, no, I'm arresting you because you're speeding. You know, so there's a big difference in how you approach them. You know, for me, you know, I don't know how to say this so it doesn't sound right, but so, so it sounds okay. Uh, for me, I rarely get a ticket. I rarely even get a warning. And that's because, you know, the ones that I don't know that pull me over, I will say to them, officer, I just want to thank you for your service. You know, my wife and I and our church, we pray for you weekly. And uh, we just thank you. And I don't know if that disarms them or whatnot, but they, we have a, a conversation. And oftentimes, we pray for them right there, mm -hmm. right on the side of the road. We pray for them. And um, because they're our friends. They're not our enemy. And so now they're in a position where when they see a person of color, they're, they're more concerned because of what the public might think rather than them doing their job. So they really need to consistently do their job. And I'm telling you that the vast majority of police officers are great. They're wonderful human beings. You know, just like the vast majority of doctors are good, the vast majority of preachers are good, but then you got some knuckleheads mm -hmm. that are in there, even from the pulpit. In every profession. By the way, you brought up the pulpit. Let's get back to that. We've got three minutes left in this segment. Um, so some pastors are not responding to these issues, they might be great Bible teachers. They might be going verse by verse through a great book of the Bible, teaching, trying to teach their flock, sound doctrine, hopefully. I won't even get into all that. That's the minority. That's the remnant right there already of pastors. But they are good teachers of the word, but they are not preparing them for the world. Good teachers of the word, but not preparing them for the world. So a lot of I get a lot of emails and calls about that. How can I encourage my pastor to address these things and help people know how to respond? In the last couple of minutes, could you share maybe some advice to listeners, to Christians, whoever the remnant, how to approach their pastor if their pastor is not dealing with cultural issues, political, social, CRT? Well, most many of the pastors are afraid uh, of doing their job because they think people will leave or they'll stop giving. I mean, our church, we don't even take up an offering. We have an offering box in the back because people are going to give whenever they want to give. Now, this is not self-serving, but uh, it will sound like that. You can get on Amazon also my book, which is entitled, It's Biblical, Not Political, How to Line Up Candidates Biblically. What that is, it takes 17 issues that the Bible deals with that are society issues. Like, for example, most people don't know that the Bible deals with global warming. The Bible deals with that. Uh, 30 years ago, if a pastor got up and said, uh, marriages between a man and a woman, the congregation said, preach it, brother. Yeah. Now they say, Pastor, why are you being political? See, it is amazing. So there are 17 issues, national sovereignty, uh, racism, uh, homosexuality. All of these issues are there that, 
and they were they, they were actually were sermons that I preached from the pulpit. I just rearranged them slightly so they, they flow better with a book format, but that's all it was. They, that's literally what it is. So they can get that and give that book to their pastor and, and encourage their pastor to be bold, to represent Christ, to be more afraid of Christ than their elder board. The book title again? Uh, it's Biblical, Not Political, How to Line Up Candidates Biblically. Okay, we will, we will put the link in today's podcast notes on the blog, standupforthetruth.com. Uh, Dr. James Taylor, Critical Race Theory versus the Bible. That's the DVD that you can purchase on Amazon or go right directly to his church website. It's www.ccnorman.org. We will have to have you back and do a full podcast with you, sir. Dr. James Taylor, uh, thank you so much for being on Standard for the Truth. Thank you very much for having me. Have a blessed day. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. And I'm blessed now to have Alex Newman, Liberty Sentinel, New American, Freedom Project, Media, and I just love his work. Uh, Alex, welcome back to Stand Up For The Truth, brother. Hey, it's so great to be with you. Thank you for having me, brother. So you had a little uh, journey, adventure, getting to the pastor's conference here in Oklahoma. You were in Florida Man, I know you're running on a little bit of sleep and a lot of caffeine, but your presentation must be heard. And I want to ask you, I know you probably have it recorded somewhere. Um, where can people get that information that you shared? And then I'm going to ask you about some details. Well, I think the best place is probably the Liberty Pastors. They have a website, and I understand that they have put some of these videos up. So hopefully it, it can be acquired there. If not, uh, different versions of talks I've given on the deep state and uh, globalism. And uh, I've actually preached sermons on similar topics. Those you can find on YouTube if you look really, really hard. Awesome. And by the way, I just realized libertypastors.com, if you go to the menu bar, you can go to all presentations. And if you click on 2021, they can see your message from Orlando that you gave. So uh, thank you. Now, this message, oh my goodness, it goes back how many years to the communist influence in America? You talked about the UN. I don't even know where you want to start, Alex, but just if you, you probably have so much of this memorized, some of the bullet points for our audience. Um, I know you've talked a little bit about this before on the podcast, but we have a, a lot of new listeners now, and so they really need to be kind of be brought up to speed. So if you can condense this for us and just give people a little bit of background on how we really weren't paying attention to what was going on in America and government. Yeah, well, thank you. So uh, Pastor Paul Blair and, and Pastor Dan Fisher asked me to speak on globalism. And I think right off the bat, we have to say that I mean, all Christians look forward to an eventual world government with Christ as king. And that's exciting, and, and that is going to be a wonderful world government. In fact, it'll be a perfect world government. But in the meantime, Satan has a cheap imitation. And uh, we see his minions, some of them consciously, I think some of them not so consciously, advocating for this one world system and they're doing it openly uh, i mean if you listen they don't tell you about it on the news they won't talk about it in your newspaper but i showed a ton of clips in uh, in my talk proving that they are open about this they're going on on television sometimes they when they're having their own little conferences they they brag about this and i, I think the real crux of the message is we need to understand that the the Bible and Christ Himself made clear there are really only two options, and, and Jesus put it twice in the, in the Gospels. He's quoted as saying that you're either with me or you're against me. And when you look at the individuals and the organizations that are involved 
in the pursuit of this counterfeit globalism, this antichrist globalism, what you'll find is that they are involved in very, very weird things. They do strange rituals. They, you, you can see the fruit that they produce. It's clearly not of Christ. And so that only leaves one option. Right? They are against Christ. And when you understand that, and when you understand that the Bible describes a reality where the, it's a fact that there is a spiritual battle going on, that there are powers and there are principalities, when you understand all that, you start to recognize that this diabolical effort to build a one-world government is anti-Christian to the core, and I think Christians have an obligation to, at the very least, have no fellowship with it, to expose it, to reprove it, and uh, and to understand what God's Word says about it. So that's really, I think, the crux of the message. And then there's the fact that they're using our children to advance this. That, that for me, is the most horrifying part. As a father, I can't even begin to accept the idea that my children would be weaponized against God, against the church, against our family. And if you listen to what they're saying, they're very open about the fact that they're using the public schools to turn our children into good little global citizens who will advance this. So that's the crux of the message right there. Okay, maybe we'll get back to this at the at the end. We've only got one segment here, but uh, publicschoolexit.com, you're involved with that. You're also on the board of the saltandlightcouncil.org. You know what? Let's just do that now. We're just free-flowing here. Tell us a little bit about those because that's very important for Christian families. Yeah, so uh, the public school exit, I'm the executive director there. Our goal is and has been from the start to liberate as many children as possible from the government's indoctrination centers. And I think for Christians, this is really an issue of Scripture. I know a lot of Christians don't see it that way. They think, oh, that, that's uh, somewhere where the Lord has given us liberty. And I really don't think that's what comes through the text. When I read the Bible, to me, it's very clear that parents should be in charge of educating and discipling their children. So I, I think we really made a tremendous mistake uh, over 150 years ago, starting in Massachusetts, when we allowed the government to take over the education system. They usurped the role, the divinely ordained role of parents. Uh, and, and that's what we need to understand as Christians. And, and so it's not an option, I think, to send our children to public school. We as, as Christians, we have some options. I think uh, homeschooling is the gold standard for those who can, uh, for those who can't or don't want to for whatever reason. It has to be a Christian education. When you read the scripture, um, parents, you're going to be accountable to this. Uh, I mean, God explains very clearly what an education looks like. He explains very clearly what he expects of you as a parent when it comes to raising your children. And so our goal at Public School Exit is, is to get as many children out as possible, and we do that by trying to reach parents and by trying to reach pastors. Uh, we hope that churches will just preach the whole counsel of God. Say, what does God say about education? Does he say that Caesar ought to be uh, training our children that there are numerous genders and that uh, the state is kind of God and that parents are old-fashioned and silly and that we came from slime over billions of years and there is no God? I mean, it, it, it's simply ludicrous. There's no possible way to read Scripture and get that out of it. So we hope that, um, that people will just look at what the Bible says. It, it is a Christian ministry. And uh, Salt and Light Council is a, a wonderful organization. Actually, Public School Exit got started through the efforts of Salt and Light Council. Okay. So they, they, what they do is they set up uh, Salt and Light Councils within churches, and the goal is to try to get the congregation to understand responsible Christian biblical citizenship. Um, and, and that means resisting evil, exposing evil. It means being politically active and doing the things that God has called us to do while he's got us here on this earth. Ephesians 5.11, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. Um, I'm talking with Alex Newman, and let's go back now. 
you said something that I really hadn't thought of as an argument for sending your kids to Christian schools. Liberty? Is that what you said? They said, well, we have that. It, I guess all things are, you know, benef- all thing, things are permissible, not all things are beneficial. Do they use that? It, explain that argument, because I'm, I'm not sure if I'm familiar with that. Well, you know, we, we hear a lot of uh, Christians, including pastors and ministers, say that you know, parent, God has given parents the liberty to choose what kind of education they want for their children. So you can choose to send them to public school, you could choose to send them to a Christian school, or you can choose to, to homeschool them. And, and I don't believe that to be the case. I, I don't believe that you can read Scripture and be faithful to the text and say, oh, God's fine with me sending my children to a public school. And again, it goes back to what we discussed at the very beginning. Um, Jesus says twice in the Gospels, you're either with me or you're against me. And and there's no person on this planet who can honestly, with a straight face, say that the public schools are for Christ. That leaves only one option. So, uh, parents, if you're not comfortable with the enemy discipling your children, you've got to pull them out. Uh, and, you know, now it's become more obvious. Now, now we see them teaching them that homosexuality is good and wholesome. We, te- we see them teaching that they might have been born in the wrong body. We see them openly teaching them critical race theory and, and Marxist indoctrination. So now it's become very obvious. But even 40 years ago, you know, what chapter and what verse would lead you to believe that it's okay to send your children to Caesar to be discipled and raised? I mean, go back to Deuteronomy. God says you should be teaching your children when you wake up, when you lie down, when you're eating, when you're walking by the way. There's no time to send them to Caesar, period. Unless you're in the bathroom or... No, I'm kidding. That doesn't specifically mention that, but that covers everything the idea is at all times. Teach them, raise them up in the instruction of the Lord. Um, It's interesting that... A lot of parents resist because of the tax money issue. We are all being taxed, and parents, Christian parents, we're already paying, they say, for public education. We hear that argument a lot. It, what, I'm just letting you respond to that because you're the expert. I'm just one that says, wow, that's the, the, what they're teaching and putting into these kids, developing a completely different Antichrist worldview. Is that worth the, the money you would spend to either do it yourself or homeschool or private school? Yeah, and what I would say is it's bad enough that they're stealing your money. Now you're going to let them steal your children? I mean, come on. I I agree. It it drives me absolutely bonkers, Pastor, to to know that I spend more money to brainwash other people's children in these indoctrination centers than I spend to give my own children, my own five children, a world-class homeschool education. It drives me nuts. But that's the situation. God said we should pay our taxes, so I'm going to pay my taxes, and I'm not happy about it, and I think we should work in the legislature. In fact, I, I think we need a national campaign now to defund public schools. Get, get out of here with this ridiculous of defund the police, right? The police protect our life, our liberty, and our property. That is of God. When it comes to public schools, that is clearly not of God. So I, I, I am fully in favor of first reducing and eventually eliminating the taxation that goes to supporting public schools. But th- I, I don't think that's a fair argument for sending our children there. And, and one other one that we get that I think is important to knock out is, well, salt and light. And, and I'm all about salt and light. Evangelizing, being a, like a mission field? Right, yeah. And, and who, who's going to be salt and light in the public schools if we don't send our kids? And, and I think you're fundamentally misunderstanding this here. And, and I give an example. All right, would you give your 6-year-old or your 7-year-old an M16 and drop them off in Afghanistan or in Iraq? Of course not. Right? It's, it's, it's absolutely positively insane. They're not trained. They're, they're not warriors. How can you possibly even consider that? It's absolutely ludicrous. And yet that's what we're doing. We're sending our children to be discipled in the enemy's camp mm-hmm. under the guise of our children being salt and light. And what's happening is our children are not being salt and light. Our children are not evangelizing. They are being evangelized. And they are 
reject. I mean, and, and the numbers bear this out. I mean, the Nehemiah Institute, I serve on the advisory board there. They've been studying the worldview of churches and Christian schools and, and Christian parents and Christian children going back decades. And what they have found is that the overwhelming supermajority of Christian children from good Christian homes with two Christian parents who send their children to government school, those children will be lost to the world. They will leave the faith. They will leave the church. We're talking 80, 90 percent. So parents, if you're willing to play Russian roulette with your children under the guise of having them be salt and light, um, I think that's a very dangerous decision. And, and I want to be clear. If, if Christians want to go be teachers, in a public school, God bless you. It's a mission field. You know, it's a dark place. We'll keep you in our prayers. And, and if that's where God has called you, then praise God, you better get over there. And that's a good thing. But children are not uh, in a safe environment there. In fact, they're being taught uh, doctrines of demons. It's that simple. So let's make come full circle now back to what we started off talking about. Your talk here at the Liberty Pastors Conference in Oklahoma. You were talking and making all these connections to the UN and how you were quoting people and then asking what kind of worldview is that? Is that is he for Christ or is he against Christ? And you came to the subject of education and you said the World Economic Forum or either that or the UN, maybe both, are wanting to infiltrate education worldwide. Connect some of those dots for us. Yeah, it's already happened. Uh, the, the United Nations set up UNESCO, the uh, UN Education Agency, after World War II. Uh, they've played a, an increasingly prominent role in education around the world. And uh, they have now partnered with the U.S. government. That's been the case for, for many decades. In 1990, they formalized it. They came up with an education agreement that said all children should be learning from the same standards, that uh, the deciding those standards is a common and universal responsibility, and that's just fancy speak for U.N. responsibility. Um, and, and so they have really taken that to heart. The, the U.N. has now even developed what they call the World Core Curriculum. Uh, it is absolutely demonic. I mean, it's written by a guy, Robert Mueller, the Assistant Secretary General of the UN, who openly, and people should read his books, don't take my word for it, go read his books. Uh, he says the United Nations, to give you an example, is the body of Christ. Uh, he, he admitted in the teacher's manual, in the forward to the teacher's manual, that his world core curriculum is actually based on the teachings of Alice Bailey and this Tibetan teacher, Javal Kul. Well, Alice Bailey was the founder of the Lucifer Publishing Company. Uh, if you read her writing, she, she was possessed. She would invite these demons to take control of her body, and they would write, and, and this is not a secret. She called them ascended masters, but anybody who's read their Bible knows we're talking about demons, not ascended masters. And, uh, and and just read what it says. It talks about the you know the special revelation. You're going to have to have this special knowledge to go into the next age. And it's absolutely bonkers. And the guy who wrote the World Core Curriculum is proudly bragging that the World Core Curriculum is based on the teachings of this lady and her demons. So you know, this is the kind of stuff that should make a Christian say, "Wow, I'm not sending my kids there anymore." So World Core Curriculum did that come before or after Common Core? Uh, that came before Common Core, and there is, there's a really interesting connection there. So Bill Gates, uh, he is, aside from the taxpayers in America, the largest financier of Common Core. Uh, back in 2004, he went over to the headquarters of UNESCO, and he signed an agreement. We, he actually signed with his own hand on behalf of Microsoft uh, this agreement with UNESCO, and they agreed that Microsoft supports the UNESCO and its agenda and its constitution. They agreed they were going to develop uh, jointly world standards for education, a world syllabus, uh, a, um, a global 
school teacher training system and also technology standards for to, to really standardize education around the world. And it was just a few years after that that Bill Gates is back in the United States shoveling money at this Common Core project. And now the Common Core propaganda videos designed to convince you that Common Core is wonderful, they're openly telling you that the Common Core is lined up with international standards and that your children will learn the same garbage that they learn in Shanghai or in Paris or in any other place. So it's coming full circle, and if you look, they're not even hiding it anymore. So for people that might say, yeah, but, like maybe some teachers, maybe some naive parents saying, yeah, but in our district, or yeah, but our superintendent or school board would never allow this globalist influence or that kind of curriculum, but don't, if, like say if you're a Christian teacher, aren't your hands tied? Don't you have to implement whatever curriculum comes down from the mothership, U.S. Department of Education, and the NEA? Explain how that might work on a local level, thinking that they can not do the whole thing. Yeah, and, and I do hear that a lot, especially when I'm in more conservative states or more rural states. People say, well, you know, I, I know Aunt Sally, and she's a teacher. She would never do that. Or, or, you know, Uncle Jim is on the school board. You know, that would never happen here. Uh, and the fact is, it is happening there. All you got to do is pick up the textbook. All you got to do is look at the curriculum. Uh, it, it, the education mandates are now coming down from the international level. They're coming down from Washington, D.C., and they're coming down from the state level. So you may live in a very conservative county. You may live in a very conservative school district. The reality is the same garbage is being taught to your children. And let me give you a concrete example of this. So this in the state of California, the uh, school districts there were producing this thing called a gender transition plan where they were facilitating children who want to become a new gender. Uh, you, you could fill out this form and you would explain to the school what gender you think you are, what you want to be called, whether your parents support this, what kind of hormones you think you need to be started on. And so if, if you tell them that uh, my parents don't approve, they will not tell your parents. They will call you your real name when you're when the parents are there and your fake name when they're not there. And so I, I was giving a talk on, on some of these issues in one of the most rural and conservative counties in the entire state of Florida, which everybody thinks of as a conservative state. And I had two school board members from that county um, in the audience, and they came up to me afterwards and said, Alex, that gender transition form, that exact same form is in Flagler County. So this is everywhere, folks. It's absolutely everywhere. Yes, there are rogue teachers who ignore Common Core and teach how to read properly. They teach phonics. I know some of them. They're wonderful people. Uh, yes, there are rogue teachers who will teach the truth about our founding, the truth about our nation, uh, and, and even the truth of God. But that is functionally illegal, at least if you believe the lie that the Supreme Courts get to and, and the federal courts get to make law. So your presentation, libertypastors.com, uh, there's a place that for presentations. Go down to 2021 Orlando. Look for that conference. And then Alex's speech is much more in-depth, and his presentation is phenomenal with quotes and with video clips. So the U.N. and globalists are infiltrating American education. They have for about how long? Uh, the U.N.'s been involved since at least the 1950s. So then how, how is it that we don't hear anything about that and we think that it's still maybe national, but even that's a problem? Yeah, I, I think one of the biggest problems is that we don't have any reliable media. Uh, we and I, and I think at this point that has become clear to most Americans. Yeah. Um, if it wasn't clear to most Americans, you can't explain Donald Trump winning in 2016. Every single establishment media outlet, every one of the networks, the coverage was I think 92% negative. Out of the top 100 newspapers in America, only two endorsed Trump. Uh, that gives you a sense of how biased the fake media was, and yet Donald Trump still defeated Hillary Clinton, even with all the vote fraud in a landslide in the electoral college it shows me that the american people have woken up but the problem is they don't know what they don't know so they know not to trust the media they know the media is lying 
But if they have no other source of information, how are they going to discover these things? But the primary source documents are there. Anybody can find them. They don't know what they don't know. So Epic Times, um, we've got a resource list at standardforthetruth.com, upper left-hand side. Resources, just one word, and we have 200 in alphabetical order, and I think four of them have you involved somehow. But Alex, thank you. We'll follow up maybe in another month or two and get you back on for a full podcast. But I appreciate you taking the time here on uh, lack of sleep and high caffeine level. <laughs> just thank you for your time here on Standard for the Truth, brother. Hey, thank you, brother. I really appreciate it. Thanks to the listeners, and God bless you all. All right, we'll be right back. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. Well, in my book that I wrote about the Black Robe Regiment, and if you don't mind me giving a a shameless plug, folks can go to my website, DanFisherBRR.com, and pick up the book. I've also written on on Romans 13, a a proper perspective on what Paul had to write about submission to authority. That book's also available, plus the DVD telling the story of the Black Robe Regiment. So, So how does that work in the 21st century? Well, these men were confronting the issues with biblical truth, and they didn't censor the message. They weren't afraid of being politically correct. They weren't afraid of not getting as much applause or, or their, their paycheck. So what does that look like today? It means pastors stop censoring the message, stop preaching Christian psychology. They, they go to the whole counsel of God and, and they preach about subjects that are self-evident truths, as Thomas Jefferson said, that are just as spiritual as tithing or having a good, strong marriage. I mean, government, civil government, is God's design. That's not a that's not a design for men. That's one of the three institutions God created so that we can have a civil society. Well, why shouldn't we preach on those passages? And you know, at this conference, I've been reading quotes from pastors from the First Great Awakening mm-hmm. in the 1850s and 60s. I mean, excuse me, the 1750s and 60s, who were preaching about all of these issues and saying, why shouldn't we preach about uh, issues of governance and what we'd call politics from the pulpit since the Bible addresses these? So that's what a pastor would look like. And he wouldn't be afraid to preach on something controversial. He's not controlled by whether or not his attendance is going to go up or down or whether the offerings are going to go higher or lower. He's, He's concerned about the whole truth and gives it to his people. They want to hear the truth, David. They're begging for it. And our pastors are so fearful these days. If they don't lead, they need to be moved out of the way and someone else needs to take their place. I agree, and most of our listeners, I think, would as well. One of the main emails we get oftentimes is, where can I find a Bible preaching church that covers the whole counsel of God, that does do verse-by-verse study and in-depth Bible prophecy, Old Testament, but also addresses what's going on outside of church walls, including whether it's abortion or the LGBTQ or the government tyranny or other social justice apostasy. Now we have CRT, critical race theory. But um, share with us a little bit more about the Black Robe Regiment and, and, and what that would look like today, because they not only preached from the Word of God, but when they were threatened, they addressed it. And I think, it, and I know you probably would say the same, it's irresponsible 
almost not to address what's going on to equip the saints to prepare your people, the congregation? Well, it's dereliction of duty. You know, Ezekiel said that we are watchmen on the wall. If you see the enemy approaching and you sound the alarm and no one listens, your hands are clean. But if you see the enemy approaching and you don't do anything, then you're guilty of whoever's blood is spilled. Now, none of us want to fight. You know, we, we, we all try to avoid controversy. We don't want to be in, in debates. We don't want to argue with people. But we can't avoid this fight any longer. We've avoided it to the place that we're backed into a corner where if we don't come out fighting, David, we're going to lose everything. Now, when I say fight, I, I don't want people to think I mean go home, get your AR-15 and load it up, and let's go out and start shooting some people. Unfortunately, for the preachers of the 18th century, that's what it came to. They're, they they tried and they tried and they tried and they tried. The Declaration of Independence lists 27 grievances they had with the king. There were many more. They had tried for years to petition the king and the parliament. They would not hear. Finally, they came to a place where they said, look, we're going to have to draw a line in the sand. We're going to declare our independence. We don't want a war. But if they bring it on us, we're going to defend ourselves. That is a biblical principle. We have a responsibility to protect the innocent, to protect children. We're not doing that. We're allowing our children to be brainwashed in our government schools. We're having vaccines forced on them. They're, they're being exposed to sexual information that they're not even old enough to process. We're allowing little children to change genders without parental consent. What in the world else needs to happen before shepherds of their congregation say, enough yeah. and we begin to stand up and go to town hall meetings and talk to the city council and the mayor and we go visit with our legislators or we run for the legislature we go visit with the governor or we run for governor i mean it is time to engage and to stop thinking that politics or government is some nasty business. The only reason it's become nasty is because the salt and light, meaning Christians, has been removed from it. Yes. So that's what it would look like. These guys have to get in their pulpits and call it like it is. Stop worrying about the, the fallout. Preach repentance. Uh, preach a confession of sin, admission of it, stop calling something an alternate lifestyle. No, God calls it a perversion. He says, it's, it's an abomination. I hate it. We don't hate the people. God doesn't hate the people, but he, he hates the sin and we must do the same. That's what it means. These guys have got to get outside of their churches, David. They've got to run for office or help others who are genuine warriors run for office and get them elected. And frankly, folks, your children are going to walk away ill-equipped, uninformed, mm -hmm. and confused. And they may not survive understanding that they are made in the image of God. They might choose a different path, which is uh, a promotion of the transgender lifestyle. And I, uh, I am extremely grieved over how they have been so successful in the public school. And to top it all off, the unions have become the mafia, in my opinion. So they are forcing on the public schools their new agenda, including, you know, a while back it was the Common Core. Then after Common Core, you know, and they still got Common Core in all the schools. Yeah, they just changed the name. Right. It's we, still there. We, we fought like crazy to get that out, but they still have it. And then after that, it was the ba privacy bills, the bathroom bills. Well, did we win that battle? No. And now 
We have critical race theory, which is literally teaching that all of the white boys and girls in school are Marxists and racists, and this is so untrue, and oppressors of the black community, and race is now the priority, and we're teaching intersectionality that the more victimhoods that you have, if you're a, you know, if you're black, and you're poor, and you're a lesbian, or whatever, all of a sudden you're elevated higher than someone who has skills and talent, and has earned their position and their rights to have maybe a scholarship or to go forward in life. So it's we're we're destroying the American dream. Uh, we're destroying God and we're destroying uh, America's freedoms. And when you destroy all of those things, then you are literally a slave. And that's where we're going in the public school system. So public school exit is an amazing program. E. Ray Moore is the chairman of our board. He's the father of the homeschool movement. Alex Newman is executive director. I'm the CEO. We have an incredible advisory board, including people like Max Lyons from Foundation for Christian uh, uh, Amer uh, Education, which is uh, promoting the principal approach. We have Freedom Project Academy with Duke Pesta, Sam Sorbo, who's married to Kevin Sorbo. We're all homeschool moms. We're very familiar with this. Let me say this. To all of you out there, there is no excuse to be turning your kids over to public schools anymore if you want to see America survive. Here's another thing. I hear parents and moms say, I can't afford it. I, I have to work. I just I don't even know what I'm doing. Well, I had all those problems myself. And I still did it because I know that the education of my children is more important. And I love my kids. God gave me this one set of children, and I must do my utmost for his highest. And so I chose to homeschool. So parents, if you go to public school exit, what you will see on that website are a ton of resources available that any parent or church can engage in right now. And I think that the churches out there are stepping up to the plate. I've met several of them at this event here and all over the country. We're building chapters where churches are saying, I want to engage. I'll either start a homeschool, I'll start a co-op, I will start a one-room schoolhouse, I'll become a Christian school, you just show me how to do it. Literally, for no cost, a church can be engaged. So it's exciting. It's very, very exciting. I loved your passion. I love what you shared. And you've got kind of a tough message, because most of the Christians, especially in our audience, almost everybody is pro-life. But we've learned how important it is to define the terms. So what I want you to walk us through a little bit about what you just shared, because I believe it's very impactful, and we have to kind of redirect our efforts in this trying to make a dent in this. It's not just about legislation. It is abolishing abortion. So please, first of all, tell me a little bit about your background and then how you got involved with abortion-free states. Sure. So uh, Daniel Navejas, I grew up in western Oklahoma. I've been in the ministry since I was 14 years old. Had the opportunity to travel 21 different nations around the world. Uh, about 10 years ago, God began putting in my heart, we have to be involved outside of the four walls of the church. Um, in 2018, I got an invitation from Dan Fisher, who ran for governor, to help in his campaign, and I gave him a really religious response. And I said, Dan, I don't do government and politics. I'm a preacher. I'll pray for you. 
um, and let me know how I can help. I'll find someone that's involved in that. And immediately repentance came. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, what am I saying? What am I doing? I keep saying that we're supposed to be outside the four walls of the church, and here's an opportunity. And so we got involved. We got involved with the campaign. At that time, Dan was running uh, as governor. But one of the things that uh, he was talking about was being an abolitionist in regards to pro-life. Well, at the time, I was pro-life, and I considered myself pro-life. And so I thought they were just, it was a different term. This is a catchy key, key phrase, means the same exact thing. Sure, I'm an abolitionist, whatever. Until I heard Dan say something, and what he said was, I repent for writing, co-authoring, and voting for pro-life legislation. That caught me off guard because as a pastor, I understood what repentance was. And I knew, like, what do you mean you're repenting from being pro-life? You're repenting from pro-life legislation, authoring it, co-authoring it, voting for it. And he said, here's the fact of the matter. Every pro-life law that's ever been written simply determines when, where, and how a baby may be legally murdered. And it blew my mind. And as he began to break this down, and over the next several months, I began seeing these political games that are being played Repentance came to me as well. And so we started out uh, traveling throughout the state of Oklahoma, um, talking to churches, ministers, uh, uh, intercessor groups across the state of Oklahoma and telling them what we were seeing and hearing. And gave birth to the first ministry we started was Ecclesia Oklahoma. So we developed a coalition of 10,000 followers of Christ across the state of Oklahoma. And then we recently just rebranded to AFS, Abortion Free States, because in everything that we're doing, we're focused on, you know, government politics and school boards and running people running for office and very conservative values. But we felt like the issue of abortion needed its own standalone silo. Um, so one of the first things I want to say, because probably the audience that's listening has heard me say, wait a minute, repenting from pro-life? Whoa, 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 I'm pro-life. Yep. And the, I just want to put this preface out there that I believe that when I say pro-life and when probably the majority of your audience hears say pro-life, mm-hmm. we mean the same thing. We mean that abortion is murder. We believe that it's against God. It's against God's word. And we wanted to see it ended. But as you work your way up the political ladder, Every something that is very clear, black and white, all of a sudden becomes very, very gray. And something will say, yeah, well, let's end it, let's end it today. All of a sudden, because, well we, well, we can't really do that. And so we then begin playing these political games. And it kind of goes like this. Uh, one of the questions I ask people is, do you think that the pharmaceutical industry has any desire to come up with a cure for cancer? Wow. They don't. And so that the real is that it is an industry that makes a lot of money hand over fist. I was in the Capitol a couple of years ago. There was a group there uh, from the Archdiocese of Oklahoma, two young guys. And they thought I was there for Rose Day. And they said, are you here to support the Rose Day bills? I said, well, I'm actually here to support SB 13, which is the Abolition of Abortion Act in Oklahoma. And they were very opposed to it. And I said, well, can you help me understand why you're opposed to this bill? And at the time, I was still learning. I was still growing. And one of the young guys that was there, he was, you know, when you're young and dumb, you don't know all the things to avoid. And he literally said out of his mouth, he said, dude, the day that we abolish abortion is the day that our paychecks are abolished. What an honest admission. And the older guy looks at him like, you're not supposed to say that. And so, again, what we see is we have these pro-life lobbyists that are claiming to want to end abortion, but they have no desire to do it. If you go to our website, afs.life, you'll see there's a video there, two videos from Tony Lowinger. He is the vice chairman for National Right to Life, and he is the chairman of Oklahomans for Life. And in these two videos, number one, you'll hear him say in one video, is that we don't want to use the word of God. We don't want to use the Bible. We don't want to talk, use any kind of Christian language. But what we want to focus on is science and biology and medicine. We want to leave God completely out of this. And so how are you going to get a biblical response 
using everything except the Bible. See, what we've done for the last 48 years is we've tried everything under the sun. We, you know, Let's try this and let's try that. So every year we come back with a new law that has a new name. But every single law, so in Oklahoma we have 278 pro-life laws, but all of them have three components, which I call the three kissing cousins. Rape, incest, and the health of the mother. The health can be a headache, it can be a high blood pressure, it can be I'm feeling suicidal. So as long as they fall into those three categories, abortion on demand. All 278 pro-life bills, a bit of legislation, provides for these exemptions. So again, every year, new bill. This is the bill that's going to end abortion. It just has new packaging on it. It's got a different name on it, but every single one of them have the same uh, facade that's going on over and over and over again. Stand Up For The Truth, a ministry of Lakeshore Communications Incorporated. Keep the discussion going on social media. Stand Up WI on Facebook and Twitter. Now we wrap up today's Stand Up For The Truth. All right, tomorrow we are so blessed to have back with us author and conference speaker and educator Israel Wayne with FamilyRenewal.com. Org, a great podcast you're not going to want to miss. Thanks again for listening and for your support. God bless you. And as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter.